All right, well, I want you to open your Bible to John chapter 20, and uh, I want to tell you a story. So there was a, a couple that came to church one Resurrection Sunday, and they brought their little boy, Johnny. And uh, they listened through the service, and uh, Johnny was watching everything, watching his parents, listening to the music. And uh, the service was over, and they got in the car, and they're driving, and little Johnny's in the back. And Mama says, well, what did you think of the service, honey? He said, well, first of all, I didn't really like that music. Didn't really care much for the choir. Boy, that was the longest, most boring message I have ever heard. I didn't enjoy it. And little Johnny speaks up from the back seat. He said, well, Dad, I thought you really liked it since you paid so much money for it. He said, what do you mean? So well, I saw you put a quarter in the offering. <laughs> Never mind. I thought that was a great message. I, I thought that was a great joke, and, and I'm going to tell you. So, um, how many thought that was funny? Please tell me you thought that was funny. Was it really that bad? If you think it was bad, raise your hand. I just want to see how honest you are. Oh, you're honest people. How many thought it was great? How many thought it was terrific? I thought it was huge. I thought it was great. Go ahead and comment online. And hopefully uh, the connections didn't just go like from, you know, we get thousands on. Hopefully it didn't go down to like 10 people. All right, look at John chapter 20. Now here's what I want to do. I want to read you what happened on Resurrection Day. And this is so amazing to me as I read this. I always like to do this so that you get an idea of what really took place. And, you know, there's like 20 messages here. But I really want to focus on Resurrection begins in the dark, and I want to talk a little bit about the stone uh, being rolled away. It really wasn't rolled away. I mean, most people, you know, in the movies, they think it was just rolled to the side. But I'm going to show you there was something even more supernatural and more powerful that happened with the stone. Are you ready? All right. Early on the first day of the week, notice this, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. Okay, this is going to be very important. We'll come back to that. And so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, that is John, because he's the one writing about this, so he calls himself the other disciple. But, he, but Simon Peter and told the other disciple, John, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Then Peter and the other, John, set, set out and went towards the tomb. Now watch this. The two were running together. If there's anything we need this resurrection season is Christians, we got to start uniting together, running together, agreeing together, getting our focus back, right? Amen? Rather than be so divided all the time, we need to learn to run together. But the other disciple, John, so watch this, John outran Peter. That'd be like my son Jonathan and I in a race. I would outrun him. <laughs> because it's a proven fact. Same with Sergeant Stuck over there in the corner. Men with big calves can't run fast. You think about that dude that runs in the Olympics, uh, Manute Bull or whatever his name was. What's his name? 
Hussein Bolt. There you go. Thank you. Hussein Bolt. That boy does not have fat calves like Sergeant over here or John. Yeah, these skinny old ones. So, John, I would, I, would, I would take you out. In fact, we're talking between Sergeant and I to actually have a police pursuit where he can run after me in the parking lot in front of all of you and I'd prove it to you. So, anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, let's go on. Let's go back to our Easter text, okay? I don't want you throwing a quarter in the offering. All right, here we go. So, so, so John outran Peter. And I'm going to tell you why I believe that is. And reached the tomb first. Now watch this. John bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. He was kind of a chicken. But look at Simon Peter. This would be like my son John. He came in following into the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head was not lying with the linen wrapping, but rolled up a place by itself. So here you got, Jesus is so cool. You got, you know, the table linen, so to speak, is wrapped up, neatly folded, and laid by itself. And I've heard a lot of different theologians say the reason why that was folded up by itself is it was a sign in their culture that basically said, I will be back. Isn't that powerful? So can you imagine all the signs? First of all, why do you think Mary, when she saw the, that the stone had been removed, she goes running? I'm going to tell you, there's a point why. She saw something in that stone. Now they go inside and they see a cloth <laughs> over by itself saying, uh, hello, I'm going to be back. Then the other disciple, John, who reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And notice she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying. Notice the two angels. One was by the head and the other by the feet. Now why? What is the significance? You got an angel that would be by where Jesus' head was, and you have another angel by his feet. Why would that be? Now, these were huge angels. Just imagine me from the side here, you know. Are you all here this Easter? Okay. So why would there be one at the feet, one at the head? Because how many remember what Israel used to carry around uh, called the Ark of the Covenant? And on top of that Ark of the Covenant, it was a box. We used the phrase, God in a box. Well, it really was. God's presence was in a box, and it was overlaid in gold, and, and they had a top, and on the top they had two angels, one on this side and one on the other side, and they were facing each other, just like you see, and that was called the mercy seat, which was symbolic of the throne of God. And so these angels are there by the body of Jesus to show us that we now are about to receive mercy, help, grace in our time of need. That's why we can come boldly because Jesus would carry his blood as he would ascend and put it upon those mercy, on that mercy seat and the angels were trying to show them another sign. He's alive, he's about to ascend and you're going to forever have grace, mercy and help in the time of need forever and ever and ever. Now watch. So that's, that takes place and now watch this. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? 
Now they're saying, America, why do you fear? (laughs) And she said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But much like today, in the time of darkness, remember the first verse, Mary came when it was dark. Here's where a lot of people are at. Jesus is standing there, but she didn't know that Jesus was there in the midst of darkness. Some people think it's over. Some people think it's never going to get any better. But I'm going to tell you something. Darkness always proceeds the dawn. Amen? So here she is in the dark. Jesus is speaking to her. She has a visitation of Jesus. Notice when the visitation came, when it was dark, she didn't understand it. She didn't recognize it. She didn't even know what was happening because she was listening to the Jerusalem news and all the papers saying, he's dead. It's over. Watch this. We've won. And all of those Demons, the devil, those that were in, screaming for Jesus to be crucified, calling him a false prophet. Now in the midst of darkness, it looked like they've won. Come on, we've had that in our nation. We've had it in the earth. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is standing here today, just like he did on that resurrection Sunday, because there is a major visitation of God himself that is going to shine light in all the nonsense that have been happening over the last few years. And so Jesus is there. Now watch this. She didn't know it was Jesus. And he said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And who are you looking for? And she supposed that he was a gardener. Why, why did she think he was a gardener? Well, first of all, Jesus is called the Rose of Sharon. I remember when he walked in on me one time and uh, the curtains were blowing and I was so afraid, I put my face into the couch, and, and I could smell before he came, and the, and the curtain started blowing. I could smell what smelled like, I guess you call it roses. You know, like, you ever smelled roses? Beautiful roses. That's what it smelled like. And I, I've heard people say that Jesus loved flowers, and I believe that. I love flowers. I give my wife, I have this thing where every two weeks she gets flowers that show up at the house, because I just want to let her know how... Mm, 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 she is. Amen. She's got her own label. Sure fine. So I tell her, honey, you're wearing a label called Sure Fine. So, you know, she gets flowers every, every couple weeks, surprise ones, new ones, and I get to rotate the vases. It's really cool. Now, here's the thing. She thought he was a gardener. Why did she think that he was a gardener? Because it had a prophetic significance. Why did Jesus even need to come and die on the cross? Why did he need to shed his blood? Because something happened in a garden in the beginning of time. And that was Adam and Eve, they sinned. And it required God himself to come and die For all mankind. Because of Adam's sin, we've all sinned and fell short of the glory of God. So she thought he was a gardener. And the scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 calls Jesus the second Adam. Or the Adam that would restore back to us everything that was lost in the garden. Now think about this. Was there ever any sniffles in the garden? Was there COVID in the garden? Were they poor? No, they had all kinds of gold and silver and everything. They were blessed. 
They didn't lack for anything. They were never sick. They didn't have depression. They didn't have fear. So Jesus appearing as a gardener is to reveal that he has brought back to us in our covenant the rights for what he said in John 10 to have life and life more abundantly. Amen? Let's keep going. She said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me because I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, now this is an important message in darkness. Are you ready? We're going to talk about this. Notice the message that he revealed to her in darkness. This is a message for you that think it is only about doom and gloom. This is the message. Go and tell them that I am going to ascend to my father your father. So a revelation of the father is important and necessary in tough times, dark times. And to my God, your God. And Mary Magdalene went, man, she was the first preacher, a woman preacher and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And she told them that, that he had said these things to her. Now let's talk about this. Let's talk. First of all, notice how much running there was on there's a lot of, in fact, you know what? I'm just going to say it this way. The whole Bible is so full of running, people that ran. I mean, you almost get out of breath just reading them all. <laughs> but you know who the fastest man in all of history was? Adam. Because he was first in the human race. That was really bad. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> oh, Lord, come back. It's Easter Sunday. It's Resurrection Sunday. Now, here's the thing. Well, I thought that was very creative. So, so let's talk about the running. Look here in John 20, verse 2. It says that Mary ran. So she ran. All right. Why is she running? Well, I think she's running. She didn't really believe that he was alive. She's like, hey, the tomb is, is, is rolled away. Something is happening. She thought it was probably mischief. She probably thought somebody stole him because she said it. Hey, tell me where you've taken him. So she didn't believe that he rose from the dead. And so you can imagine. Now, look at John and Peter are running. Now, notice this. It says that John outran Peter. Or Pastor Hank outran Sergeant Stuck. <laughs> now, why did John outrun Peter? Why is that in the Bible? You ever thought about that? Because remember, John was the one that always had his head up listening to the heart of Jesus. Remember how many times it said it in the book of John that John would lay his head up next to Jesus' uh, heart, his chest? And yet Peter was the one when none of the other disciples could say who Jesus was. It was Peter who said, uh, Jesus, you aren't the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus said, man, blessed are you with this revelation, Peter. Upon this rock, upon that revelation, I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail. So why did John, who leaned his head up against the heart of Jesus, outrun a man who had a revelation? 
I'm telling you, you will go farther in your Christian run, your Christian race. You will finish your race if you always make it about the pursuit of God's heart. That's why. You can't just live off of a revelation. You need to know who God is for yourself. Amen. It's not just enough to hear Pastor Hank say it. Now, this should provoke you, make you hungry, where you say, I want to know Jesus for myself. But ultimately, when you stand before God someday, which we all will, and the Bible says no man will give an excuse, will have any excuse for their life and that they didn't hear. I was driving down a street the other day, and there was a cross that was uh, off on the side of the road. I was just running errands. And uh, they were, there was something about Jesus on the cross, and people were driving by this, this cross. And I, I looked over to Brenda, and I said, Brenda, now we know why the Scripture says no man will be able to stand before God without an excuse. How many people do you think are reading that sign and looking at that cross? They're hearing the gospel. They're receiving the gospel. This is why, listen to me, don't you play with your life. Eternity is a long time to spend in the flames of hell where God did not create it for you. Well, then why do people go to hell? Because it's their choice. And second of all, when God created mankind in his image, spirit to spirit, spirit being, it was meant Spirit is eternal. It can never be destroyed. That's why the devil is going to be cast into a bottomless pit, into the lake of fire. He's a spirit being. So is all the other devils. And to be in the presence of a holy God, you yourself have to be redeemed and covered with the blood of Jesus. Or you cannot spend time in eternity with him. So the only other place that a lost eternal spirit goes is not the place that God created it for you, but a place where lost souls wind up because you cannot cause a spirit to cease to exist. Don't put that eternal damnation upon you by the choices that you live in your everyday life. Some of you in this room, I feel it in my heart, and those of you that are watching, you have heard the gospel many, many times. Some of, some of you, you are sons and daughters of Christian parents, and yet you harden your heart continually, and you're determined to go your way. That way, Jesus said, will wind up in destruction. And you will never, when you step out of your body and you close your eyes for the last time, you will never, ever, ever get a chance to make it right with God. Let this resurrection season be the season that you get it settled in your heart that I am going to run after the heart of God and get my life right with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Now let's go on. I want to talk about the stone. Amen? This is where you get rock and roll from. I love rock and roll. I'm a rock and roll dude, man. I love screaming guitars. I, I tell those guys over in the pit, man, we need to get you guys to jump off the side of that wall, scream the guitar, go like this with your legs, rip those legs, up, you know, pant legs, just scream the baby. I love, how many of you like rock and roll? 
Some of you are so religious you can't say it. Does rock and roll belong in the church? I don't think country music does, but I know rock and roll does. Amen? Didn't say they came to the tomb in the country. There was nothing with country mentioned, country music. It was rock and roll. There you go. Now look at Mark chapter 16. Let's read. I love the sound of good drums, good bass. I love it when they slap the bass. I wish I was a musician. If you heard me sing, you would know why God didn't bless me to be a musician. Amen? You don't say amen. <laughs> look at Mark 16. Let's go. I got to get this to you. So when Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of James and Solomon, whatever his name is, brought spices so they could embalm him very early on Sunday morning. And as the sun rose, they went to the tomb. And notice what they were saying. They kind of worried out loud to each other. Who will roll back the stone from the tomb? Notice this. I want you to look at this. If the stone was just rolled to the side with rock and roll, why did it say that when they came to the tomb, they looked up. You ever caught that? Why did they look up? Didn't say they looked to the side or they looked at the tomb and noticed that the rock had rolled. They looked up and saw that it had been rolled back. Now, there's a very interesting word to roll back. And they actually didn't see the stone rolled back or to the side. It was actually rolled back up the hill. This stone was literally one and a half to two tons is how much this stone weighed. Okay? That's, a, that, that's, that's heavy. Everyone say heavy, man. Heavy. See, we're talking about rock and roll, so you got to talk heavy, heavy, man. Right? And we are told they looked up. Now watch this. In the King James Version, it says in Mark 16, 3, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Verse 4, and when they looked up, they saw that the stone was rolled away. Now, underline rolled away. The literal translation of that word rolled away means to pick it up with great force and carry it. How did that stone get up the hill? Because it was picked up and carried with great force back up the hill. Why do you think when the angels showed up, there was an earthquake? And all of the soldiers there dropped like they were dead men. And they were so scared. It wasn't just the angels' presence in the earthquake. It was Literally, these words to describe what happened with that stone is like if you would take a champagne bottle and you would shake it or a, 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 and then what would happen to that champagne bottle? Pop! That's what happened. Resurrection power took that stone and blasted it off of the tomb and put it back up on top of the hill. That's literally what it means. Mar uh, Luke's gospel. Luke says the same thing. Luke uses a Greek word. 
to, to roll away, and it literally means this. Luke uses a word in the Greek, and it literally means to roll the object away from another in a great distance from it. If you're just thinking the religious sense, okay, the, ro the rock was rolled this way. No, Luke describes it, brings interpretation and understanding of rolling away. He literally says, no, the stone was literally brought to a separate great distance from its original state. That's because it popped just like a cork. John uses the word taken away. The word taking away, the stone was taken away, literally means this two-ton stone was blown off the entrance. The force of the resurrection, notice when it was dark, was so powerful that the stone popped off the mouth of the tomb like that cork. Notice all of this happened when it was dark. Well, pastor, why is that important? Because some people are thinking that nothing supernatural can ever take place because all they look at is things in the dark or according to what is natural expectation. Natural expectation is you roll the stone to the side. Nobody expected that stone, which had a groove that held it in place, to be popped back up on top of the hill. That in itself, why do you think they came in and wanted to lie about his body being stolen? Because they all knew that something supernatural happened. Do you understand the power of the resurrection? No matter how dark it is, no matter what it looks like in your life, where it looks impossible, come on, there's nothing that looks more impossible than a grave. And yet the stone was popped up with resurrection power let's go on and talk about the darkness now this is really important because john mentions john chapter 20 verse 1 early on the first day of the week while it was still dark mary magdalene came to the tomb now he ends you could say his writings john does talking about it being dark but go to john chapter 1 and let's look at the very first verses of his writings in John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, verse 1, was the Word. And the Word was, come on, with God. The Word was God. And the same was in the beginning with God. And all things were made by him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So he created it all. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. That's why Jesus says you are the light of the world when you receive him. You receive his life, you get light. Notice this though, verse 5. Now, why is it that some people like Mary cannot recognize Jesus in times of darkness? Why, like Mary... She should have known when she saw, like a cork, that stone had been popped and rolled back up. Why does she still doubt? Because it says in verse 5, even though resurrection power or light shines in darkness, even though prophets prophesy and shed light on really what's happening or the future of what will come, darkness comprehends it not. 
You know why so many people, they write on Facebook, I'm confused. When is things going to turn around? You say that because you are in fear. Fear is part of darkness. And when you're listening to the news and you're reading the headlines and you're discussing it all day long with people, you are siding with darkness and you cannot comprehend the light. You can't comprehend. You can't see Jesus. You can't see the power of resurrection that can change something that fast, no matter how dark it is, no matter how impossible it may seem. There's a divine intervention of God. That's why I don't listen to the news. I don't want to hear all the darkness. I don't want to hear the lies. Otherwise, I will not be able to comprehend what God, who is light, is doing and will continue to do. So you got to watch these things. Now think about this. Jesus, the Son of God, has now been tried in court. He's been beaten, humiliated, crucified, and laid now in a borrowed tomb. He's dead. His devoted followers, Mary Magdalene, comes to the tomb. They come while it's dark, but here's the thing. They don't believe. Because they're looking at darkness as the forever reality or the way that it's always going to be. Nothing is going to change. And they discounted all of the things that Jesus said. And they unjustly condemned Jesus. The crowds cried out for his blood to be shed. They took his beautiful body, now whipped, beaten, bloodied, and severely wounded. And they laid it in this tomb. Jesus is gone, and notice this. It wasn't just dark by the way of the sky or the time that they came to the tomb. There was another darkness that had had happened here. Light, you see, had gone out of the disciples. Light had gone out of Mary. It was because it seemed dark. It seemed hopeless. How could God make any sense of all of this? They thought it was doom and gloom. They thought it was the season of basically rapture, (laughs) like people are today. It's so dark. It's so evil. They're lining up all the end time scriptures. See how dark it is? Gog and Magog and China and Russia and Ukraine. And they're all looking at everything dark. Yet Jesus is standing here with the power of his glory, his visitation to do something so amazing, so new in America, in the earth again. But all people can see is the darkness or their own darkness. Mary Magdalene. Former prostitute, seven devils cast out of her, comes to the tomb, it's dark, and all she could think about was her own darkness. How could he tell us he'd rise again? Look, the tomb is empty. And I I could imagine all of a sudden how her soul began to be darkened, thinking, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? He was my everything. The disciples, oh no, now they're going to come for us. So it wasn't just about the darkness of the day. It was the darkness of their own soul that brought them into hopelessness, fear, depression, weeping. That's where a lot of people are today. You have forgotten the power 
of who has risen from the dead that will and does make all things new. Now watch this. We have to understand from the way God moves. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. God always appears when it's dark. The hope that we should have when we start seeing gas prices going up, mandates going crazy, uh, you know, pandemics and scamdemics and lies and division and all of the stuff that's going on that is dark. Yes, nobody denies that it's dark. But this, as Christians who have a hope on Resurrection Sunday, need to be going, you know what? This is why I'm not moved. People say, Pastor, you're not moved. You know why? I know God. History proves his character. I am the God, he says, that changes not. Let God be true and every man a liar. I've seen too much of God through history. When it looked impossible, it looked like there was no way God shows up and does something to absolutely cause everyone to be speechless. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, the Bible says that the earth was without form, void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. God was not absent of that darkness. The Bible says the Spirit of God was hovering and moving. Whenever it's dark, it means God's getting ready to move. Just like that resurrection day. It might have been dark. Her own soul was dark. But didn't stop Jesus from moving. Didn't stop the glory from coming. Didn't stop the dawning of a new day from taking place. And I'm here to tell you this is exactly what is going to happen for America, for the earth. There is a new era that we have entered into. There is something new that is coming that only God can do. But you're going to look back and you're going to say, wow, I guess they were right. Exodus chapter 20. And the people stood afar off as Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Just because it's dark, God doesn't remove himself. In fact, when it's dark, that's when God interjects himself. Why do I have hope for America? Why do I have hope for Australia? Why do I have hope for Canada? Why do I have hope for Russia? Why do I have hope for Ukraine? Why do I have hope for your life? It's because when it's dark is when God intervenes. Look at Mark chapter 6. And Jesus, when he came out, verse 34, saw a great multitude, saw the whole earth, saw America, saw the mandates, saw COVID-19, saw the lies, saw the stolen election, and was moved with compassion for them because they didn't have, they were like sheep. They didn't have anybody to lead them. They didn't have anybody to sort this thing out. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day. In other words, it was dark. One translation says it was dark. And notice what most Christians do. Jesus, it's already dark. It's too late. There's no hope for the future. Just like that resurrection day. It's dark. Mary weeping. Oh, they've taken away my Lord. Yet Jesus is standing here poised to move. And the disciples said, send the people away. Let's just get out of here. Let's just rapture out of here. And notice what happened. Jesus said, no, give them something to eat. In other words, the darkness activated the compassion of Jesus himself to do something. You say, why is compassion so important? Compassion is love in action. It's where God himself comes down and makes himself a part of that darkness, just like on Resurrection Sunday. 
and inserts himself. Now, notice what also, put up John 20, verse 16. We're almost done. If they could come to the piano. Watch the revelation that you need. When things are dark, it's not the time to close your Bible and forget where you put it and leave it in the lost and found at church. (laughs) It's not the time to not read the scripture. It's not the time to quit going to church. When things are dark, it's not time to engage yourself in the darkness. These are very, very dangerous times. Paul said, it is perilous times. It's dangerous times. It's not the time to be eating and breaking bread with those who love darkness. You don't want your people your places and your things that you enjoy that are dark to drag you to eternal darkness forever. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth that adulterous affair that could drag your soul to hell forever. It's not worth it. It's not worth that relationship. It's not worth partying on the weekends. And around people who get drunk out of their mind. And you go and get in a car with them. It's not worth the moments that you think is enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. But you lose your soul forever. It's not worth it. That's why I don't love sin. I don't like sin. I don't play with sin. I avoid sin. If there's anything God is saying to his church this Resurrection Sunday is now is the time more than ever to come out of the darkness of your own soul, the darkness of your own perspective that you think it's never going to get any better. But some of you need to surrender your life to the light. Some of you need to come back to Jesus. Some of you need to give your heart to Jesus for the first time. Some of you, you might be right with God, but you aren't right in your perspective concerning him. You've gotten over into fear. You've gotten over into anxiety. You've got wrong talk coming from your mouth. You've attacked the Christians. You've attacked the church. You've attacked your nation. And we need to come to the light because those in darkness cannot comprehend the light, the scripture says. But I want you to see what must happen as I close. If you are going to honestly make it through darkness, you've got to have these revelations. Are you ready? In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and realized that it was Jesus. The first thing in times of darkness is not the time to worship God on your own terms. I had somebody one time say, I don't need to forgive. God knows me. He knows how I am. And I say to that person, well, God knows how you are, but the scripture tells you how you should be. And the scripture says that you are to forgive. And if you don't forgive, your father will not forgive you in heaven. So don't say, well, that's just my way. People who get so easily offended with things. Jesus said, blessed is he who does not get offended in me. In the last days, many shall be offended. Now, I'm not going to be one of them. I'm not going to be offended. And so we have to be careful. Because what we're doing sometimes is we are turning away from the very 
lifestyle, the very way that Jesus has called us to be as people who are followers of him. You know why America's confused? It's because the church is. The church thinks it's okay for two men to get married. Two women to get married. If you want to call yourself a a dog and go around and bark like one, that's fine. That's your life. It's your choice. No. We got to speak to people in love. Love isn't conformity. Otherwise, Jesus would have conformed. Love confronts. Love stands in the midst of what is wrong and holds to the truth. Other preachers may say certain things. Other preachers may allow certain things. Other preachers may, you know, get up and put two men and marry them together under the name of God and call that okay. This preacher won't because I have to uphold what God said in his word. This is not turning away from Jesus. It's having a revelation of him and what he has said in his word that you will forever stand with. Quit letting the woke culture redefine your God. Quit letting the woke culture redefine your life of morals and standards. Don't live in the darkness. Don't accept the darkness. Quit agreeing with the darkness. Second revelation, last one, is when he turned and he said, it's me, it's Jesus. That's the first revelation. The second one is he said, I'm going to my father, your father, my God, your God. Now notice what he did. He brought, as Pastor Doug comes, the revelation of the Father. He brought the revelation in a dark time of his heavenly Father. Now Jesus said to Philip, he said, Philip, how long have I been with you? And, and, and you, you say, show us the Father. And he said, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen my dad. Well, what was, what was Jesus like? Well, Jesus was very, very merciful. Jesus was very loving, but yet he was also very confrontive. How many times did he say, woe unto the Pharisees, woe unto the scribes? How many times, even with the woman caught in the midst of adultery, he said, hey, out of love, where, where's your accusers? But then he said, woman, I don't want you to sin no more. To a man who got free from evil spirits, he turned him and said, now, don't sin anymore, lest something more evil will come on you. What he was trying to do, when preachers preach like this on a resurrection Sunday, don't go out of the church saying, well, golly, there's other messages that they could have preached. Tell that to Jesus. He recognized a spiritual truth. Your actions in life affect not just you. They affect your children. They affect your loved ones. A husband that cheats on his wife or a wife that cheats on his husband. Think about how many people that you affect. You go get drunk on a Friday, get in a car, and, and, and die in an accident. How many lives have you now just affected? But you also affect something more that people don't realize in darkness. Can I tell you what it is? You affect the spirit realm. Light attracts godly spiritual beings to you. Angels, the Holy Spirit. But darkness 
that's why the Bible calls them in Ephesians 6, rulers of darkness. The more you give license for darkness and sin to rule in your life. Come on, what you look at on that computer when nobody's watching. You are allowing darkness to rule. And what you don't realize, there's something connected to what you're looking at called rulers of darkness, demon spirits. And that's why Jesus said to the young man, listen, you just got free from devils. Don't return back to sin or you're going to have something in the spirit realm far worse connected and you may not get free next time. And those demons that you are partaking of could drag you forever where they will torture you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I guarantee you demons are going to go after people who knew Jesus, prodigal kids that never returned to the Lord, people who played with sin. I guarantee you those are the ones that the demons are going to go after in hell. And they are going to mock you and torture you for eternity. Because you knew the truth and you didn't do anything about it. And as a result, they're going to mock you and they are going to, like somebody said, shove dog droppings in your face forever. They're going to remind you you sat in church. They're going to remind you that you were around worship, but you didn't lift your hands. You heard the gospel. You heard the message of the kingdom. You heard a preacher that maybe you didn't like in 2022 on April 17th that was preaching to you honestly. You didn't like it. You rejected it because you chose to harden your hearts and you are going to pay for it for eternity. Well, pastor, you sound hard. No, I sound honest. And I didn't plan on preaching this way because God's after some people. This is a mercy call. I want to show you as you stand to your feet who God is. Who is this father? Look at Exodus 33 verse 19. I want to show you this. In Exodus 33, verse 19, Moses wanted to see God's glory. And God said to him, look, I will make all my goodness pass before you. All means absolute. So he said, I'm going to let my absolute goodness pass before you. Now, if God is absolutely good, it means he has no evil, no wrong, nothing in him. He, he can't. He's 100% good. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Look at Exodus 34. Look at, look at the Father that you, that you need to understand in times of darkness. You know why I'm confident that your life can turn around? You know why I'm confident, those of you that are watching, that your life can turn around? You know why I'm confident that America's going to turn around? Watch this. As Moses was there before God, Look at the God and what he proclaimed about himself. This is what resurrection is about. It's about God appearing in darkness. It's about a great awakening happening in our midst. It's about the great light arising to spring forth a new season. And look at what he said. And the Lord passed by Moses. And notice what he said. I am the Lord, the Lord God. I am merciful. I am gracious. I'm long-suffering. I am so abundant in goodness and truth. And I keep mercy for thousands. And I forgive iniquity. Here's the thing. If you're in here today and you, you are sinning, iniquity means purposeful sin. He says, I forgive your purposeful sins and your transgressions and your sins. 
And by no means will I clear the guilty, though. In other words, if you won't repent, you're not going to be cleared. Why? Because it's your own judgment that you bring on yourself. And again, watch. Your sins do affect other people. You know why I know I'm going to have honorable, righteous grandchildren? I believe with all my heart. Because I have sowed that in my life of serving God since 1984. I love righteousness. And I hate iniquity. That's what the Father... I asked Jesus that, or the Father that one day. I said, Father, what do you love about Jesus? And the Lord said, I love what I said in my word. And it says in the book of Hebrews that the Father said, you are my son, looking at Jesus, carrying his blood, and said to him, you, Jesus, you love righteousness, and you hate purposeful sin. I want to be just like that. Don't you? But notice what he says. He visits the iniquities of the fathers upon the children, upon the children's children, upon the third and fourth generation. It's not that God's mean. It's just because you're guilty, you haven't repented of your sins. You haven't come clean with your life. You haven't come back to God. As a result, it brings sinful actions and curses that affect generations to come by your actions. That's what God's trying to say. And so this Resurrection Sunday, I just want to encourage you to check your life. Are you just running with a revelation? Yeah, I believe he's Jesus. Yeah, I've heard all that stuff. I grew up in the church. No, it's time to, it's time to really get radical for Jesus now. It's time to run like John after his heart. Run after righteousness. Run after doing right. Run to church every time the doors are open. Amen. Father, I pray for every person in the sound of my voice. And I pray that this Resurrection Sunday, no matter what they're going through, no matter what they've gone through, that there will be something on the inside of them that says, Lord, I want you more than anything. And may they surrender their hearts to you like they've never surrendered before. And may this resurrection season, not only may it be different by way of their perspective, but may it be different by their choice. Their choice is that from this moment forward, they will say, no matter what, I'm going to run hard after the heart of God. And I'm going to adjust my choices. I'm going to adjust my lifestyle. And I am going to serve Jesus as a radical for him. And everybody said amen.